Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 50. Episode 50! I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently streaming on Netflix. So you don't have to. This week, well, this month. This summer. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing something a little bit different. Yeah. And part of the reason that it took so long to get this episode to you is because we had a bunch of guests on this one. We did. So the premise of our 50th episode is that we wanted a variety of guests, a bunch of our friends, to come on the podcast and talk about one of the movies that we did in our previous 49, Mm -hmm. from Scream 2 to... When Animals Dream. Yeah. (laughs) Because there have been some real fun ones that we've done. Yeah, and, you know, we we monopolize the conversation when we don't have guests on, (laughs) and sometimes people have feelings about these movies, and they want to come on and talk about it. Yeah. So what follows is a series of guest segments. It follows. It follows. (laughs) Nobody chose that one. Oh, no. (laughs) Our guests came and talked about each of the movies. Uh, Some, just for fun, some had very specific things they wanted to talk about. Yeah, more serious. And... We hope you guys enjoy. Yeah. Hopefully. Hope hearing new voices and yeah. uh, new opinions on the podcast. It's always good. I really enjoy. I really enjoyed uh, listening to all everyone's thoughts on Oh, me too. It was great. It was a lot really of really fun. great conversations. Because it wasn't like our previous guests where we're all talking about the one movie together that we all just watched. It was like hearing other people's thoughts on episodes we've already done. Right. It was an interesting... We've already put our thoughts out there and they're adding to our conversation. Yeah, I thought that was really... It was a really fun thing to do and I, I really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? Oh, it was awesome. It was, it was awesome. so fun for our 50th. Thank you so much to everyone who came on. It... I don't know. It's very exciting. I want everyone to hear it. Yeah. Let's just, let's just get into it. <laughs> so let's kick things off with our first segment. We're here with our friend Alex Christie, who is here to talk about a movie we did for episode 18, The Babadook. Hello, Alex. Hey, Evan. Hey, Liz. Hey. <laughs> uh, as a as a first-time guest, uh, you must answer the obligatory query, what's your favorite scary movie? Right now, it's hereditary, because every time I walk by my second bedroom in my apartment, I'm worried that something's going to kill me. Yep, topical. I love it. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still traumatized by uh, sounds. Don't do it! Oh my god! I just looked around, like, where is she? No, I, I feel that I have that exact same emotion when I'm lying in bed at night and I look in the corners of yeah. the bedroom. It's not good. No, it's terrifying. I can't sleep. It's a good uh, movie. It's Oh, it's a great movie. People hated it. Did they? Really? The audiences uh, at large hated it. That's so dumb. It's not It's not for everyone. I was going to come in with a big thing about how it was a feminist film in the same way that I think The Babadook is, but I don't want to... Say, say more about that. Um, <laughs> I think it has to do with like women experiencing trauma, but yeah. like maybe that's the end of that intersection. I don't know. It's so otherworldly, whereas The Babadook seems They're both, very I, grounded. I, no, I, I did see a critic... I, I say criticism, I mean like just a critic wrote it. Um, about how it is hereditary is about female stories and mm-hmm. the men in it it's so deeply not well, they're their both stories about, they're both about explicitly about motherhood right. and the, yes. the honestly like the trauma of parenting and being a mother yeah. and the mm-hmm. ways that that can surprise you and scare you um, both mm-hmm. in both cases because your children are a little bit out of your control right for sure I think they have mad connections mad connections mad connections <laughs> 
But we're here to talk about The Babadook. Uh, Alex, why did you select The Babadook as the movie to bring to the table? It is the film, it is the horror film that I'm most excited to show to people randomly. But it's also the film that I feel like, uh, and you folks kind of talked about it in your episode, that is hard to explain as you work through it. It's like holistically Mm -hmm. really, really great, but there are sections of it where you feel embarrassed to be like sharing it with someone. The scene that I'm thinking of specifically is we watched it with my partner's family and it's the scene where Samuel, the kid, right, is screaming his head off in the car and the acting wavers somewhere between like unbearable to watch and like kind of believable, but you're like, just stick through it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It has its moments of melodrama. I, I wouldn't say that I've ever been embarrassed to show it to anyone though. Interesting. Or not even embarrassed, but, like, maybe a bit uh, self-conscious about... At least not compared to, like... I think Liz and I at least show a lot of horror movies to people. Because yes. it's kind of our, our thing. Mm-hmm. And there are much more... You gotta, you gotta, you gotta stick with this. Yeah. You gotta let this ball roll. Or, like, there's really one good thing about this you need to wait for. I think that the, the trouble watching The Babadook, and you and I experienced this, was that it it's controversial in how it deals with child psychology and child rearing Mm -hmm. was you and I had a real like knockdown drag out about like, is she a bad mom? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, For a really long time about it because you were feeling like a lot of the things that Samuel was doing were his fault. And I was feeling like a lot of things he was doing were her fault and that she's the one with the power to change it. And she's doing poorly. And of course, like that's, I think that's the point of the movie she's doing poorly and she's not, she's not doing right by him until the end. And but there's a lot also that children just do that parents don't have control over, right? right? So it's I think I think I've I've had struggles showing it to people because I feel like I'm gonna get into it with somebody about like how do we feel about mm-hmm. what's being done in this movie? But I think that it's a film that underscores the difficulty of motherhood when so much of the world is not enabling you to be the best like parent or the best caregiver Absolutely. that you can, right? right. So like I don't think that the blame for Samuel's kind of disposition towards the world, (laughs) making catapults or whatever, uh, can entirely be blamed on her, right? When there are no systems in place to, like, help her deal with her trauma and help him deal with his trauma. I don't know. Everybody is so dismissive. And she she does reach out sometimes and people send her away, right? Yeah. She's not... She's not being cared for by her community. So one of the reasons I really like this movie is the way that it plays with sound um, and the way that it kind of inverts the jump scare where nothing is happening and and suddenly something jumps out at you by acclimating you to certain like ambient noises or sounds. Like all of a sudden Mm -hmm. the sound will amp itself up but you won't know that it's amping itself up until suddenly it cuts. Right. Right. And so... Oh, yeah. I don't know. There's something about the way that that works and how it resonates with the absence that both of the characters feel or the way that like trauma works as a kind of absence. I don't know. I don't have it entirely mapped out, but there's something there that I think is really interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't think, I don't think it's as clean a metaphor as a one-to-one about like right. the way that silence uh, encroaches on mm-hmm. your daily life. I think mm-hmm. it's just one of the, I agree, really effective ways mm-hmm. that this movie is like really unsettling. Yeah. A lot of what it does is very simple in its, just like the ways that it, it it creeps into your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the use of sound is totally like one of the highlights. Yeah, it's screaming. I mean yeah. that alone. Yeah. His piercing screams unsettle you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like without it really needing to do anything, but the way that they are filmed and the way that the yelling is filmed and then exactly what you said, the ambient noise. It's 
it is a very it is a movie that plays with sound. Oh, absolutely. Well. It's also I mean I'm sure we talked about this in our episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so quiet, in particular like with the the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like when it's quiet, it is fucking quiet. Yeah. Actually, the if I'm not mistaken, Alex, the first time I watched this movie, we watched it together. Yes. And. Uh, it was far too quiet when we were watching it. I couldn't understand half of what was being said, partially because of the accents, yes. and also because your speakers were very loud. Yes. Uh, loud call out. No, I'm it was that. fine. That's why I got a sound bar. Yeah, like, exactly. the after. Uh, the Babadook got you a sound bar. Perfect. Yes. It inspired that. Um, but I think that, like, it is... The, the effect of that, right, is that it makes you really strain to understand it, in a way. You have to, like lean in like oh that's uh, deep yeah <laughs> <laughs> no I mean I was about to like lean in to the movie exactly as a whole like you have to buy into a lot of and that's kind of uh, leads into uh, something that I know that you think about with this movie a lot is about what's you know I think both of you actually said this about what's real and not real and mm-hmm. what matters with that and I think that that connects to buying in right like yeah. do, you, do you have to buy into her trauma yeah, her trauma, what, what she's doing, and its manifestation in the form of this Babadook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much do you buy in, right? If you're a cop, how much do you buy into right. like this random book showing up or mm-hmm. something like that? But that's, mm-hmm. that's another thing. Is like the people who do take things seriously, like the fact that uh, CPS or whatever equivalent mm-hmm. is like looking into like what's going on here versus when she's like she goes to the cop and is like this book is whatever and such and such and I burned it and, mm-hmm. you know uh, you you can't take those things at face value mm-hmm. like as as people out in the world not as characters in a horror film so there's not it, it's it's hard to judge these characters in general I think for that reason because they're only responding to their environment in a way that they they, they don't know better mm-hmm. I mean this is a broader strokes reading right but the cops and the school are more masculine manifestations of yeah. the social sphere and the person who takes not her not uh, the mother's word for the trauma at face value but the neighbor right you have this right. elderly neighbor who provides a different kind of care and a different kind of validation for all the stuff that she's going through without asking for like without asking questions without asking for proof whatever there's a there's a different model of care that maybe the film is asking us to like lean in and pay attention to yeah mm-hmm. Because um, there's, I mean, I think this happens in a lot of horror movies, is the question of uh, whether it's actually happening. Like, mm-hmm. is there actually this monster who is there? Or is, does everything she go through just a manifestation of how she's working through these issues? Mm-hmm. And that might be the question of the neighbor. Like, does it, you know, does it matter? Do you, do you still need to care for right. this person, regardless of whether she's being haunted by something right. yeah. real? And as I'm saying this, I'm realizing, like, it's this is not a moralizing movie, right? This is not a thing that you walk out of and you're like, well, now I know something about like women's trauma. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Right. Um, but there is something pedagogical there. Actually, to its credit that it doesn't beat you over the head with this, right? Mm-hmm. The time that I think that it does is the ending, right? Which feels, and I think I said this on the episode too, it feels a bit too neat, right? Yeah. Now they have this, it, it's a beautiful metaphor for living with your trauma and feeding it enough that you understand its relationship to you without giving in to the fear of it. And that your trauma doesn't have to literally kill you. Exactly. You can have it in your basement and feed it. But it is, again, a little bit too tidy for, I guess, like, even for, like, the arc of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little... It, it does feel a little, if not 
moralizing than kind of, yeah like you said kind of pedagogical in terms of like you have to accept your trauma and that's how you get by in the world and that's okay but I think that it is the time that it deviates from it. I think it works for exactly 60 seconds. Yeah. yeah. Because I remember when I watched it for the first time being like, oh my God, yes. Feed your trauma, let it live in your basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love movies like that. I love like, this is a direct, specifically horror movies. This is a direct metaphor when I, you know, always well, it's my mm-hmm. favorite movie is the sick, my favorite horror movie is the sixth sense. And it's the like, monster equals mental illness right that really works for me but a lot of the times it works for 60 seconds when you go oh what a beautiful metaphor and then you think about it for a little bit longer and go well does that really work or hold up or is it necessary do i really need this monster metaphor right to be a good person or to be Mm -hmm. good to people who have trauma like you know obviously not well i think to evan's point about the neatness of the ending is that the ending is fake Right. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that you talk about in the episode is that, like, we don't know what the trauma is that extends beyond the frame of the film. Right. We have to imagine that, like, at some point, Sam at 16 or 18 or 20 or something is going to be revisited with a different kind of trauma. Right. Absolutely. In full knowledge of, like, I lived through this. Like, uh, both of you kind of point out that, um, like... <laughs> she strangles him she kills their dog like this is not a thing that you get to gloss over he just happens to be six right now and you can kind of gloss over it and i wonder about the the patness of the ending as it relates to the patness of the beginning right there's no we just moved here or like there is no inciting incident what gets us here is very unclear it just happens to be a week where things are slightly worse than they have been well it's because of his birthday right it's coming up on the anniversary i guess guess the sixth or seventh whichever one it is Sure. And he's at that age, right? Where, mm-hmm. like, you can imagine that maybe uh, when things, when he was a little baby, things were a little bit easier. The way that you have things to focus on. Toddlers mm-hmm. are notoriously difficult. They're, di- they're <laughs> dif- difficult in a different way, though. And I think that you're totally right, Alex, when you say that, like, I think there's a, there's a lot about in this movie about, like, the resiliency of children. Mm-hmm. Of that, like, there are kids who can watch their mom, like, kill their dog and they, you know. <laughs> what? It's, no, no. It's Children see some horrible things. Like, living in 2018, you we all know that. And they do, it doesn't mean they gr- are going to grow up to be serial killers. Oh, or, right. Like, they, like, children who see horrible things are actually, like, very gifted at working through that if they have the right support system. Yeah, that's and a big It's end. actually, yeah. of course, but it's in an, an adult is actually where it can get a lot more complicated because adults have a completely different framework of what they right. must be in society and how they like the responsibilities that they have. It is like, I never, I don't think I have thought about what it would be like for Sam if this was happening when he was a teenager mm-hmm. or if, or what it would be like for him as a teenager. Cause they haven't necessarily really worked through the issues. It still lives in the basement and they're still feeding it. And what's, what, what's preventing it from, rearing back up again i guess well nothing right. But like right weirdly hereditary is a good example of like what would happen if he was a teenager right. right all this crazy stuff is happening in that film and the son is in full knowledge of what is happening that his mother is like exceedingly violent towards him yeah and that there is something wrong uh and that is dealt with very differently in that film than uh there is a kind of passiveness that comes along in the Babadook with like Sam's reaction to his mother because he's so dependent on her. Yeah. Right. She's the... And doesn't know what it means. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So many yeah. times. Like, he doesn't have the ability to process like the reference point. Yeah. He's never had a healthy relationship with her, probably, right? Like when, you said this is this has been growing since they were 
since you know there is no inciting incident in this movie, this mm-hmm. is their this is their normal to an extent. It's worse because it's it's this movie, but it's there's something that's yeah. there. This is how they've been existing for six years, right? I mean, that is the terror of being a child, right? That you assume that all the things that you're encountering are normal because you have no other script to compare it to. Yeah, yeah. right. Especially, and like, uh, not to get too, too into this, but uh, you brought up the TV over and over again right. that she's watching, um, and it's very dreamlike. There are no narratives there. So, like, what access does he have to other kinds of narratives right. uh, of yeah. motherhood, of parenthood, whatever? Or are they just permutations of this, like, this, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's Especially because he's, he's being isolated also. Because there's the sister, right, and and her children, and they're they're very much pushing them out yeah. and Sam out. They're not bringing them in and so they can't be a healthy model either. Because of both of their like abnormality and their like mm-hmm. uh, right. lack of conformity to this nuclear family right. style. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Though yeah. we never see the uncle now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. There are no men here. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and, and she's an interesting like we were talking about this the, the women in this movie like the sister is an interesting narrative of like mm-hmm. she's not being accepting she's but but she's doing it in her own way of motherhood right that she's like this is what's best for my child that i need to do this but it's her view of motherhood is cutting out yeah. her sister's mm-hmm. like you know parenting model and the only thing i wanted to say is that now that i can't get this comparison to hereditary sorry no it's it's good <laughs> me too i've been comparing <laughs> the whole time uh i think the interesting thing about hereditary right is that it is unambiguously supernatural, whereas this never escapes its metaphor. Again, not that it needs to, right? It is through and through about trauma made manifest. I actually think I appreciate the fact that Hereditary is exploring these things and also is about a demon cult. Well, and I, I think, actually, yeah. Uh, what, I, I was going to bring this up earlier, but I didn't want to get into Hereditary, but we've already done it, so it's happening. But um, I kept expecting Hereditary for it to do the typical kind of horror movie thing that happens in the Babadook, where it's like, I have this book, and he sent it to me, and it's evil, and someone's like, well, where is it? And she's like, I don't have it. Mm-hmm. And in Hereditary, every time... Uh, Tony Collette's character, I can't remember their names, says, like, there's something over here, there's a body, there's this book, it's all happening. And she shows it to somebody, and it's really there, yeah. which threw me so much every other horror movie. Mm-hmm. If there's a body, and then you go take someone, and you pull them up the stairs, and you show them, there's obviously not going to be a body. The fact that it was there in that movie, like, changed everything for me up in, in how I felt while it was going on. Agreed. And... But it, but that means it's not really dealing with anything about quote unquote real, right? Like it is real. It is happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this is it's it's happening to her and it's happening to him and it's happening to all of their family, and the Babadook is dealing so much more with ambiguity. Ambiguity, of, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I'm thinking about that now because like one of the things you talk about in the episode, Evan, is your dissatisfaction with the way that the metaphor works. Or, like the metaphor is often not one to one. Yeah. Um. And with Hereditary, I was always waiting for it to become a metaphor, right? right. as opposed to it just being real. And I'm wondering about... Yeah, I don't know. I guess I kind of like the Babadook's like, refusal to settle one way or another. Interesting. And mm-hmm. the messiness of it. Yeah. But I don't... Yeah. I mean, like, it's not a, it's not a death match between them, but... <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh... I didn't realize until we got into the recording studio that it was like they were versus each other, but they're very connected. But I think, t- to your point, Liz, I think that the 
the expectations I bring with me into Hereditary are very informed by the Babadook. Like, I mm-hmm. thought about the Babadook while watching it because mm-hmm. we have this, you know, traumatized mother trying to make sense of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Babadook's adherence to those tropes, like, for example, the fact that, like, she feels like the world is gaslighting her about mm-hmm. this uh, being such a common trope made Hereditary even better, mm-hmm. right, in my comparison, because The Babadook is a great, mm-hmm. great movie, and even it, you know, has these very paid-by-numbers aspects to it. Yeah. And Hereditary surprised me in so many ways that was... Well, they have opposite uh, endings in terms of... I think The Babadook is extremely, to its detriment, as we've discussed, uh, optimistic. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, no, just get it under control. It's and just so it's, neat and, and tidy. it's easy. Everyone's just... It's breezy. We're all playing together, and it's all fine. And obviously Hereditary is dark as hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there's no optimism mm-hmm. in that, really. And it's not even like... I think that, like we've talked about with um, The Babadook, maybe if there's, if there's like a point to it all, it can get a little bit um, preachy. Yeah. There's no, there's none of that. And the predator is not trying to preach anything to you. It's not trying to tell you to do anything. And the Babadook, it, in its, at its worst is, at its best is not. But it, it really volleys back and forth between those two things. Mm-hmm. In summation, two films people should absolutely watch. Both from A24. They are, aren't they? So just go, every time an A24 film comes out that doesn't have Shia LaBeouf in it, <laughs> go see them. Wow. Which ones have Shia LaBeouf in I them? think it's, uh, I think American Honey was an A24. That was the, like, two-and-a-half-hour romp. Uh, Did you see it? No. Okay. I don't <laughs> see... Uh, Wasn't it Andrea Arnold? It might have been. Okay. But I feel... Uh, you should absolutely cut this. Um, <laughs> I feel this way about... Shia LaBeouf. In the way that Shia LaBeouf understands himself as a conceptual artist, I am a conceptual consumer of Shia LaBeouf. <gasps> Much to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I love it. I think it's... <laughs> what is a conceptual consumer? I just know what he does, and I tell other people about what he does. I, there's no way in hell you could get me into a movie theater to see any of it. Oh, my God. So, Alex, thank you for coming in and uh, being on this episode. Thank you so much for having me. This is super fun. What do you do? Where can people find your work? So, I teach... Uh, English and writing classes at Loyola University, Chicago. Uh, I'm working on a dissertation about ethics and futurity, and if you want to read about any of the stuff I'm working on, you can find me at inadequatefutures.com, which I know, super sunny. Uh, But you can find all my contact info there, and if you want to chat about horror film or whatever else I write about, let me know. Awesome. Thanks again for uh, coming in. Thanks for having me. Stay spooky. We're here with our friend Jessica Dwyer to talk about the film that we did for episode 19, which is Mind Games. Hello, yes. Jessica. Hello. Hi, Jessica. Hi. <laughs> Mind Games is a, I feel like, a now screaming favorite. Yeah, as we've mentioned, we've turned all our friends onto this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone I've ever met, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I told yeah. them about this movie. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jessica. Have you heard, that? <laughs> Have you heard the gospel of Mind Games? But as a first-time guest, we... Uh, have to ask you the obligatory question. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I would say the movie that scares me the most, um, which sort of falls under favorite scary movie, is The Strangers. Oh, yeah. Um, that's because just my personal deep, dark fear, I'm just going <laughs> to bare my soul here, is, uh, 
you know, anything that I feel like can happen to me for whatever reason at any time. Um, so the scene where it's all silence and there's no music, there's no suspense building, there's no drama. It's literally just someone standing there in a mask who's going to then torture and kill you. Yeah. Which is like the thing of nightmares. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And The Strangers is a really good one. Yeah. I forget about it. Yeah. That it like, you know, and it's also really short. It I went back short. and rewatched it, and they sort of just, like, like get minutes, to the point. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, which is perfect. I think, yeah. like, a, a lot of scary movies can te- can kind of be on the shorter end because they... Yeah, it's like it's like comedy, right? Like, you get it, you get right. out, you do your thing. Yeah, but The Stranger specifically feels like there is no... There's no useless information right. there, right? It's all just, like... You get a very fast, yeah. like, <laughs> we're going it's in, one, and now it's we're... one night, yeah. and then yeah. dawn breaks, and it's over. Right. Yeah. right. Did you like the sequel? I didn't see it, actually. Should I? I don't I didn't know. see it either. No. Oh, it was a, it was like the one March movie that I didn't see. And I'm. It still was coming really out at it. the time when there were like a, a ton, lot of ton other of things. Yeah, but exactly. didn't I heard somebody? I've heard that some people thought it was better than the first one. That's what uh, hot our, take. Our, I did no, no, hot take. our other guest, uh, our our many time guest James Skosky, said it was better than the first oh. one. So I trust James. I have no opinion. We'll I haven't seen The Strangers since I was going to say, out. we should watch it, and <laughs> yeah. then we'll all come back and talk about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Special Perfect. episode of... Well, Shishkwitch better go on Netflix, is what I'm saying. So maybe we'll do it for an episode. You can guest on that one, too. Yes. <laughs> so, Jessica, why did you choose to bring mind games to the table? So uh, I'm one of the people that was converted to the, this movie <laughs> through, <laughs> through the podcast, and... Uh, as people who know me relatively well, um, you guys know that I have a thing about time travel. Um, yes. Back to the Future is my favorite movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is just a dark Back to the Future. Yeah, it, it, right? I think, yeah, pretty much. I'm actually here to, to present my thesis about how they're the same new movie from a different perspective. Perfect. Um, just a casual is retelling. There an infinite Marty. Yes. Continuum also. Yes. <laughs> Infinite Marty's. Yes. Uh, which, actually, I'd be a huge fan of that. Let's be real. Sorry, but. we got off track. <laughs> no, that's okay. So, um, I am really, really fascinated by uh, stories about time travel, and I love how they're so different. Uh, you know, I feel like the rules change with every kind of retelling of, of mm-hmm. time travel, and it's so complicated, and I think some things handle it really well, and some things handle it just very, very poorly. So when I find something where I feel like this is, you know, it's something that's handled well, I really just, like, want to sink my teeth into it. And I remember uh, Liz and I watching it for the first time and afterwards, as we tend to do, talking for, like, 45 minutes straight, just, like, unpacking every detail. (laughs) And it's my favorite kind of movie in that you get more and more from each rewatching of it. Definitely. Because I got to say, my actually, my favorite time watching it was the second time. Uh, Because... After seeing it, the first time I was like, what is happening? Like, that whole opening monologue, I was like, I have no idea yeah, where what, we are. What does this what universe the right. at all? Exactly. Um, and then coming back the second time and seeing the specificity and the details um, really, I, I think, is is a lot of fun and really exciting. And then on, I think I've now seen it three or four times, um, but then on a later watch, actually finding things that maybe don't make sense and being able to pick that apart as well. Mm. Well, that's the that's the challenge with what the heights that time travel and time loop movies go to versus the depths is that they require a very intricate setup yeah. in terms of how this works. And as, as you mentioned, like often they don't stick the landing because they create a paradox that they don't have an explanation for. Totally. And I think that a a time loop or time travel movie could be good without nailing the science or like science like the yeah. the yeah. theory of how this would work. Right. But 
as long as it's like fun and it, it works in other ways. I would also say for me, the big thing, and this is how I feel about art in general, is consistency. So mm-hmm. I want them to sort of like understand their world and stay within it. Mm-hmm. Like what I really have a hard time with is when things in time travel or time loop, I realize I I misidentified, but uh, (laughs) is that, you know, the things start to contradict each other. And you're like, how is it that this follows this rule, but then over here it doesn't? Uh, And I really like when they sort of say, you know what, we don't have every single scientific theory figured out here, but... It has an internal logic. Exactly. exactly. games, there is no... They don't have a scientist being like, oh, how can we configure this situation? And if we start moving the... Like, there's nobody... They're a bunch of, like... Totally. college students who are just thrown into this and they do the best that they can. If I recall correctly, basically nothing is explained no. in terms of these There's are the rules of this world, this is why this is happening. It's Rose all... has that book that's like, yeah. this is probably related to this Auroribus thing. Like, somehow right. this is the snake eating itself. The psychic? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, but that's, there's, that's it. There's this. There's a snake on the wall. She finds what the snake means. That doesn't... There's, it, <laughs> there's never any, like... Oh, there the, was a curse that was, was a curse laid of, upon exactly, this exactly. It's just, and I think we had this conversation on the podcast, and you and I talked about this, I'm sure, many times. Is it's just like, is this just a place? Is just this is like a break in time? Right. right. This little pocket pocket of, of woods. And I feel so like so many, so many other things would do something like this, and then you'd get a flashback to, like you said, like yes. fifty mm. years ago, the miners, the miners died, you were murdered, but right, a no cursed gemstone. It's literally just an isolated. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess for as far as we know, it's an isolated incident that just like. Well, that's the other thing is that this movie cannot extend beyond what it is because at the end, you know, the loop is broken, right? right? But, it, it doesn't have to deal with the repercussions of that, and that's what makes it a great movie. Yeah. And that's right? what makes us all go, okay, where do we think it went from there? Which right. is a super fun, exciting conversation. And I have. love not having an answer. Of course, yeah, over explaining it. it would ruin it. It would absolutely, absolutely ruin it. I'm glad that there's nobody in this movie to be like, well, this is what happened. I will say, I maybe. I thought, and I realized this again in my most recent watch of it, that, like, the Northern Lights maybe don't <laughs> need to be a part of it. <laughs> maybe. Especially the, um, thing? It's like, oh, they're never the same twice. Is that a thing? I don't, I don't know. I actually have no idea. <laughs> they should they have used snowflakes. They're like, yeah. oh, a snowflake. Yeah. This is the same snowflake <laughs> that landed on my hand yesterday, which also would be ridiculous. I'm going to make a movie. That's going to be the premise. That's how they're going to solve that. It. They're going to figure out because every time you look at a snowflake on your hand, right, you memorize. Exactly I do. What yeah, it yeah, looks yeah, like. yeah, yeah. I actually imprint the pattern into my I had, palm. I had forgotten about the uh, the aurora borealis bit. It's a little yeah. silly. It's, it's just silly. kind of yeah. It's kind of disjointed. You know what? I did notice though. Uh, on uh, most recently watched that I really liked I mentioned this to you um, is the you've just said this before one of your favorite parts of the movie is the note right it is my favorite part and of the, movie. Uh, the thing that I noticed was um, when Rose brings out the note we were wondering we were like oh what which what are the names on it again and the note the names on the note are TJ Claire and Lex and it's they're, they're like oh Matt and Sarah wrote this and they're like why didn't they write all of our names and it's like oh they probably just thought we'd get the idea but it's it's so <laughs> they would never write Lex's name yeah they don't know Lex right like he's only there because of TJ so just that that like another one of those moments where you're like they should have known this like, is what we said this so is weird this is what Liz and I said is that if I ever find a note from Liz <laughs> that's like me my husband and some random, and some random person, person that you've never met before it's not from me it's definitely from a future yeah, person or somebody else <laughs> it's who's, from you you've probably been murdered yeah I've met a whole other person who yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know right exactly but it was a very it was another one of those like you said it's like watching it over and over again you get all these little details but I think that's fun you know I would never say fun. like oh 
that name doesn't make sense. I'm not going to watch this no, movie no, no, no. or this isn't Perfect. a good movie. It's such a good example yeah. because it's another one of those things that you're like, they could have caught this. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it, and you don't if they'd watched them. it as many times right. as we have. <laughs> you don't blame them for not catching right. it because, of course, Occam's Razor style, like, you're just going to believe the most yeah. logical explanation. If you were like, why would they write Lex's name? Do you think maybe we're in a time loop? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they, they could have saved him. They gave them all the clues. They gave them all the clues. I don't like, bring another movie into this. I am going to say, though that I, I have always said as being an avid, like, Back to the Future person who loves mm-hmm. time loops, time travel, that, like, if anybody comes to me as, like, you're in the past or, like, you're in the future, I'd be like, yeah, okay. I believe you. I'm, sign 100%. me up. Because yeah. they, they waste so much time being like, that's not possible. That doesn't make sense. And I'm like, nope, okay, where do we need to go? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. To get this, yeah, yeah, exactly. Where is your ship? Exactly. <laughs> like, the future. Get me in the DeLorean right now. This is just a Back to the Future plug. <laughs> it's fine. That's your plug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone see Back to the Future. (laughs) I think that the two of you have watched this movie a lot more than I have. I think I've only seen it twice now. Uh, But the question that I had... (laughs) I love when you talk about mind games. Well, I've only seen it 15 times. (laughs) Wow, it's really not a lot. Yeah, I really haven't taken everything from it that I can get yet. (laughs) I'm curious to know, we talked about this in our our original episode about it, but its depiction of Mikey, is that his name? Michael. Michael. Uh, Mental illness is not super great. And yeah. is pretty problematic in terms of like, oh, he's he's psychotic because, you know, he's off his meds. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Do you think that like, is that any better on multiple watchings or is it just more and more offensive? It's definitely not more, yeah. and more offensive. It's probably about the same amount. I would say actually like the second watch, I was like, I get this a little bit more. And I never felt like it was like, he has schizophrenia, so he's evil. It's a big combination of like, he has schizophrenia, and so his friends don't trust him, and that's their but that's their problem, and that's the movie knows that. Does it? I think so. I was actually gonna say what the impression I got from it the most recent time is that that is in there to be a legitimate cause of suspicion. That that mm-hmm. that of course that's the one that they would most easily blame because that factor is there. Yes. And there is this sort of element of he's had um sort of episodes in the past. Yeah. You know, he's had kind of, like, those experiences in the past. And he doesn't want to take his meds, right? Like, right. he he fights against that from the beginning, which is not a bad thing, necessarily. Right. Like, we understand from his perspective that, like... And maybe I'm giving it too much credit because of how I feel, but, like, I understand the war one might have with oneself uh, sure. to be medicated or not, to feel like the side effects aren't worth whatever. But isn't his girlfriend, like, mothering him, basically? Yeah. She's yeah. like, please take your meds, which is also not necessarily wrong for her to do. Yeah. So it's a, it, it felt, it feels complicated. It always feels complicated because she knows he's not medicated, but she's trying to both make sure that he's safe and also protect him from the others and that she's, like, she's there to be, like, yes, he's off his meds, but we know he would never hurt us in this way, but it's their distrust of him that leads to Michael 2, yeah. having that That's vengeance exactly. that comes back right. to Michael 1. And it's like, I think that it, on the second viewing, I was like, I see this a little bit better. And then it has gotten, it's been the same. Since. I think the movie, the movie is at least trying and maybe doesn't, doesn't make this as clear as it could, but that the other characters other than Michael are 
uh, at fault. That they mm-hmm. are they are yeah. making judgments that are not they create, okay. Right? Exactly. They exactly. create the problem because right. instead of having that conversation, they literally lock him up. Right. And Which because is insane. and because when they lock <laughs> him up, it it reinforces for Michael because he sees that this is the first time. Right. He realizes that they're gonna do it. That you like it. They create that yeah. problem. Yeah. Within themselves, so it never feels like it's like, oh no, they did everything right. right. TJ, they're the is heroes. Like, they're TJ's the, locking yeah. up that crazy guy like yeah. that. It never felt like that for me. It was always just this confusion. Like I think we talked about in the original episode, this confusion of like, is he a villain? And I feel like on multiple views, I don't feel like he's the villain. No, I think he is portrayed in certain ways as much of a victim as yeah. the people who actually are killed. And we were having this discussion of like. Uh, we were like, oh, who's the first person he kills? And I realized he doesn't, like, kill that many of them. Only one. He, well, he not physically... Sarah. Oh. oh that's, but that's, that's like, the end. That's, like, that's the final yes, kind he, of, like... he does kill them. He does kill them. He You're does right. kill them. <laughs> uh, but he, he doesn't... He kills Guy, like, very horribly. That's, that's like, what he says his, his big, like... First thing. Also, I gotta say, guy being able to write out break the <laughs> break the cycle, break the circle cycle. I think break the cycle with the blood coming from his throat. Like that's that's very impressive. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say like that. Like oh, I know what I'll do. Oh yeah, and he's doing it like back behind, yeah, behind his, head. his head. He's like all twisted Whatever, around. Guy. Very skilled. But he doesn't. He potentially poisons Rose. We don't really know who does that. It's still unclear. I think you can assume that it's him. What we were saying is we don't know when. When we don't necessarily yeah. know when he and does he that. And he lets TJ fall. Right. And then he pushes something on to... No, no, sorry. He lets Lex fall and he pushes something on to TJ. There is an escalation. There is an escalation. In the violence, That clearly, definitely. like... That I feel, like, starts from a position of, like, he's just trying to escape them at first. Yeah. The way that Lex dies, it's just Lex not remembering that the... Um, Minecart. No, it's the... The, the bridge, bridge is oh. unstable. Remember, there's a... There's a a step that's unstable in the bridge and Michael jumps over it and Lex forgets. Because he would have known that. Like, he he discovered that before as well. Right. It's, it's, it's not to blame Lex for dying, but, like, <laughs> they all knew that that was gonna fall. Right. And Michael jumped it and Lex forgot because he was chasing Michael. Right. So that's, like, you're running. Michael was being pursued in that moment. Right. He was running away and then Lex fell and then it goes from there an escalation mm-hmm. of violence. Yeah. So, still a great movie? I love it. Definitely. I, I think the last shot is just like incredible. Oh my god, it's and so good. The credit music <laughs> yeah. is just every time I'm just like how what is this hidden jewel, this diamond in the rough? I was going to say I think it's one of the uh, most shining hidden gems that we've found Absolutely. as a result of this podcast. Absolutely. I agree. Ah, oh, mind games. All right, well uh, thank you for joining us today, Jessica. Uh, where can people find you? Is there anything you want to promote while you're here? Uh Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's J Dwyer, D W Y E R, 0915. Uh, I rarely tweet about scary movies, but when I do, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, I also work with a local theater company in Chicago um, that I'm really, really passionate about. It's called Sideshow Theater Company. Um, and I think they're doing work that's really important. And you know what? Sometimes scary. Uh, very Liz scary. and I have, yeah. have oh experienced. We, Evan and I are big, big, big Sideshow fans. Absolutely. I absolutely support this. Uh, yeah. And the first sh- Sideshow show I ever saw was like one of the scariest things I've ever seen on stage. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Go you, support Sideshow. If yeah. you're, if you're in the Midwest, get out here and see yeah. some Sideshow shows because they are the best. Or you can just give them money. Yeah. If you can't come see the <laughs> shows, you can donate from afar. Be a patron <laughs> all over the country. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And 
stay spooky. <laughs> We are now here with our friend Hannah Thomas, who will be talking about uh, the film we did for episode nine of our podcast, way, way back when. Early days. Fresh. Which is... (laughs) Baby fresh. Reanimator. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Welcome to the studio. Long time listener, first time caller. (laughs) Hannah, we have to ask you the obligatory now screaming question. Uh, What's your favorite scary movie? My all time favorite scary movie, the scary movie that got me into scary movies, is The Exorcist. Oh, such a good one. It's a classic. (laughs) It's my favorite. It's... It's my favorite, this is my, like, spiel about it, because I've been asked this several times, is um, I like horror movies that are, um, where the horror is, like, a vessel for a bigger story, and that Mm -hmm. movie is such a story about a mom and a daughter, and it's about this family that's facing divorce and separation, and it's about doubt, and the writing really reflects that, and then it also has a possession in it, which is really great. Yeah. Yeah. That's really a good one. I think it's, like, quintessential. It's been so... So many things have borrowed from it or played homage right. to it. Absolutely. And one of my favorite things is watching movies and being like, oh, you liked The Exorcist when you were a kid. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's it's so great. And it was... Because the first scary movie I ever watched was The Sixth Sense. But, like, this was the first time that I ever really loved a horror movie yeah. because the writing is just unparalleled. Yeah. I mean, the dialogue in it is so beautiful. I don't really feel like I appreciated The Exorcist until I talked to you about it. <laughs> like, it's, it's so gorgeous. Like, I mean, I tell everybody, watch the director's cut because you get the line that's the best, which is when Father Marin asks the mother what's her, her Christian name, her full name, and she says, mm-hmm. Reagan Therese, and he says, that's such a beautiful name. And it's like, you're about to go in this room with this 12-year-old girl who's like, literally being like defiled by this demon and he's like that's such a beautiful name like it makes me cry every time it's so moving like the whole movie is so moving so i really 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 love that movie it's a great choice yeah so what made you want to bring reanimator to the table because it is literally the opposite of the exorcist (laughs) (laughs) it is it is so ridiculous and far-fetched and um it is such, like, the uh, I, I was thinking about it when I watched it for the first time. I was like, oh, wow, this is, like, the worst college AU of all time. Like, you <laughs> you get, like, oh you get Herbert West and Dan having this weird homoerotic moment where they're, like, obsessed with each other. They but are. also, it is extremely bad. They're, yeah. like, roommate situation. It's so terrible. It's so true. And so, like... I mean, it is it is everything you kind of want in in a bad horror movie. So, like, if The Exorcist is, like, my capstone for what you want in a good horror movie, it's telling multiple stories at once, it's doing a lot of things at once, it's using horror as a vehicle to tell a maybe more personal story. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the, the, the pulpy, shitty, terrible movie that's, it like, a cult hit. It's so funny. Like, it's it's... The fact that they call it on the Wikipedia page like a horror comedy just like makes it yeah. completely yeah, yeah, yeah. it undresses it a little bit, which yeah. is fun. And it's just like it's such a fun movie to watch. And people watching it for the first time like I did, like I mean, if you go into it not understanding what it's gonna be about, you're gonna be completely like flabbergasted by what you see. Yeah. AKA yeah. the worst cunnilingus scene probably ever portrayed <laughs> in in motion picture history. Oh my God. Which I was like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. Like it yeah. was 
it was really terrible. But it's so over the top. I, I I love revisiting it in part because it's it's splattery in a yes. way yes. that it most is. of the horror films that I watch yes. like aren't like. Yes. Uh, and that was so not my thing when I started this podcast. Right. Yeah. Reanimator was one of the first ones I think because it takes itself really unseriously. Yes. It knows it's fun. It knows it's pulpy. It knows it's playing with that like age-old kind of, like, mad scientist thing. Yes. But it's really just it's so got, much fun. It's got the, like, German, like, Nazi post-World like, post right, War II yeah. element in it where it's like, Dr. Gruber. Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know, like, it's it's very mad scientist. It's it's totally like that. Yeah. The, the wild thing about it is that, and I, I forget about this every time, is that, like, it's an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation. Yes! And yeah. Lovecraft takes himself so <laughs> fucking seriously. Yeah. To the point, like, again... As we talked about this podcast, I'm the biggest cosmic horror fan. I love, mm-hmm. like, the unknown. Mm-hmm. And making this, like, goofy-ass splatter zombie yeah. mad scientist film out of Lovecraft is, like, such a good, I think, like, subversion of what a piece of shit H.P. Lovecraft as a human was. Yes. Like, it really, like I said, like, like, your stories are fun, H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. So have fun. It's, like, un- it's very undressed. It's very, like, yes. let's get let's get H.P. Lovecraft, like, in his skivvies. Let's, like, yeah. see what he looks like when he's really embarrassed. <laughs> embarrassed, yeah. yeah. I love But that. also being, like, this is your story, dude. Like, you know, yeah. we read it and this is what we saw. This so what it is, yeah. Yeah, which is fantastic as far as I'm concerned. It's super fun. It is so fun. But, like, I mean, my favorite character is, like, the inept uh, security guard who's just, like, there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel very, <laughs> like, I feel like he really embodies the audience and that I'm just here. Like, it's all happening. Like, there's nothing I can personally do about this. But, like, right. he's literally right outside the lab. Like, the As it's all happening. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And he's just like, no, go ahead. It's fine. I'm going to take my coffee break right now. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. me too, you, man. You like, you. it's totally cool. <laughs> I totally get it. But yeah, no, it is. It's such a fun movie. It's so gory and grisly and over the top. Like Evans said, like just completely unzips the whole thing. Yeah, I think the acting in it's really good too. In terms yes. of the like to play Jeff Combs, who does Herbert West, like uh, play that like with a straight face of this like caricature That's of a mad scientist. The best part about it is because like Herbert himself takes himself so seriously. Mm-hmm. Like he's kind of that like avatar for hp lovecraft right like he's the guy like the the big line where they're like talking about like you killed him and he's like i gave him life <laughs> excuse me like that's like such a like if you're if someone is criticizing your story yeah. like yeah. that's the first thing is like um i wrote that story like yeah i gave it to you to criticize <laughs> he like you know the fact that you are criticizing it right now means that i made that possible right right, yeah. right, right, right. and he's so like quintessentially creepy it's Mm -hmm. so fucking funny like it's so great and dan is such a jock so it's like it really plays that like kind of like i'm the i'm the like more popular handsome guy versus like the nerd there's such good foils and then you've got freaking megan just poor megan just (laughs) she's like my boyfriend's working with a mad scientist and my dad's like a zombie now (laughs) like i don't even know what's going on everything's happening everything's happening to me like it's terrible so it's just it like I said they're they're polar opposites as far as mm-hmm. the genre is concerned and that's what makes it so fun. So fun, yeah. I feel like the thing I revisit over and over with this movie is the score. Yes, that's yes. the thing that like oh we, we my gosh watched this probably like got over a year ago now mm-hmm. and I still listen to it all the time and it perfectly encapsulates everything we've said. It's really quirky. Yeah, it's super weird. There's yeah. parts of it that are really fun, but also yeah. parts of it that are genuinely like 
kind of creepy and scary and yeah. like gory. And yeah. I think that it is one of like for such a movie that is a lot of fun and like isn't taking itself too seriously. The score is beautiful. Like, Richard Band, by the way, I just want to always yeah. get his name out. Shout there. out! Yeah, yeah, it was. It's it's an incredible. Now score. the score is iconic, which is a great parallel also to The Exorcist, which has tubular bells, which oh, is obviously like one of course. the most iconic horror scores of all I'd time. I'd say I'd say the most. The I'd most. Say number one. It's 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 really good. I feel like it's 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 tubular bells and then the Halloween. Halloween. Yes. That's the one I was gonna yes. bring up. Absolutely. Maybe yeah, Psycho yeah. if you wanted to go True. old of school. Of course, yeah. of course. You because know? we consider the first the first horror movie. If yes. You know. Who says that? That's a, that's a thing. Fools. I know, not not true, but people it's the second that. slasher movie after Peeping Tom. But yes. like, come on, Bella Lugosi, come on. I thought that I was not going to be scared by Psycho, and then I was deeply frightened by Psycho when I watched it. It was so scary. When she comes flying down, when he comes flying down that staircase, I was like, excuse me, Mom? Actually, I thought this movie was just for fun and memes. Yeah. Just Uh, fun and memes. But I'm scared. Yeah. I feel attacked. No, that's the great thing about Reanimator 2, is you can tell that it was such like um. It's such a passion project. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, the the effects are you. They're fun. They're fun in the way that it's like you're taking this gore and like to me, it completely grosses me out. Like, I'm definitely gonna be like, oh yeah, covering my eyes. Mm-hmm. But also, like, you can tell that they're just like, how ridiculous can we make this? Like, and also at the same time, put our effort into it so it's not c- so unbelievable that mm-hmm. you would completely check out of the movie. It plays the line well. Yeah. I think. Again, because I am so. I always was. I was so anti this style of movie. Yeah. I'm not into that decade, really. I'm yeah. not into spotter, gore, yeah. horror. But there's something about this that is very, like... Do you guys think it's, like, reactionary? Because I know The Exorcist came out in, like, what, the late 70s or whatever. Like, do you think, do you, is, is that... Is this, like, you know... I think of Reanimator. I think of the first um, Evil Dead. Like, the yeah. is that all kind of reactionary to this kind of, like, highbrow, hyper-religious, like... You know, we're gonna we're gonna make some good movies in the seventies, like that are kind of. I actually think of it as more personally uh, in reaction to like the like the cheap slashers rise, yeah. Like in the early eighties of stuff like Friday Thirteenth becoming a franchise, yeah. And yeah. Halloween having all these sequels, and then Freddy is eighty four of like okay, so now everyone wants to see teens get killed. What <laughs> if we just like. What if we just up the gore but change the story, right? Yeah. So yeah. the stories are more complicated than Evil Dead. Yeah. It's not like violence gore. It's yeah. like, it's, it's gross. violence gore too. But it's but it's like but it's, it's lab. It's like sciencey. lab gore. It's, lab it's not gore. in your house. Right. It's in like yeah, the sterile not, it's setting. It's not of the a madman coming to kill you, right? Like yeah. there's a scientific aspect to it that I feel like what year was Scanners? Seventy eight, I wanna say. That's also very gory but in a scientific right. way. Right. Yeah. So like that I feel like that's kind of the same vibe that isn't exactly what you said Friday the thirteenth where it's literally just like an axe in your face because there's like a psycho who's coming to kill you yeah. because you're you're a teen and you're at this cat cat. Scanners yeah. was eighty one for what it's worth. Okay. So like no but like also like this is around the time of the fly. Like this is like the rise of Cronenberg, right? Yeah. yeah. Not like I, John Carpenter well, obviously still working, but like the fly is the yeah. same way. The fly is what I would consider science gore. The fly mm-hmm. is disgusting. It's, it's I just, just only watched it once, and I cannot bring myself to watch it It's disgusting, but yeah. I love that movie, and it's mm-hmm. really unusual for me to like movies like that, because I'm, like, I'm so grossed out, but... It's hard to I watch. I think it's because they're also kind of smart. Like, I think that Reanimator and all those movies that are like it, like, they have, like, a weird intelligence to them that is, like... Well, they're in on it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's not... It's... It's it's their joke. They're like, you know, if you're yeah. gonna if you're gonna think that this is ridiculous, then you're gonna think it's ridiculous because we made it ridiculous. Yeah. Like and there's something extremely powerful about that. And there's something there's it's like I feel like it's meaningful too. Yeah. Like I, mean, I think that's part of why 
movies like this are so great and why Reanimator is a movie that I always want to return to around like Halloween. Yes. Right? Because yes. It, it puts you in that mood of watching scary movies. Yes. Even though it's it's not really gonna scare you in the same way that The right. Exorcist will, for example, which like, you know, makes you think about your mortality. Yeah. Uh, Reanimator is so like schlocky and fun, but it feels like the spirit of Halloween. Yes. Yeah, it definitely does. I'm not, when I sit down to watch Reanimator, I'm not blocking out like three hours to watch it. I'm yeah. not mm-hmm. getting myself into any kind of headspace. I mean, this is a great like October 1st. Oh yeah. We in get this, in like get in the mood, like get get some beer, get some popcorn, like just yeah. sit down and like have a good time. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. It's so much a movie that I wish that I had seen like when I was in college. Like they like screened it. That's when we watched it. Yeah. It was a very, wasn't it? What? I feel like when we watched it, it was a very, like, fall For the atmosphere. podcast? I think so. Uh, it just, I mean, maybe I'm just remembering that way because that is the vibe of yeah. it. Yeah. it's like, it's that time. Yeah. It was, you know. It was yeah. mid-November. Mid-November. Yeah, so fallish. Yeah. You were still, I mean, you were hanging on. Listen, I'm in Halloween vibe from September 1 to December, you know. 31st. Is it like no, no, Michael's no. has I'll, their I'll Halloween Christmas stuff habits. Out. I'll let Christmas habits thing. But, like, t- 23rd, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, it, it goes by year by year. You just want to like slide right into Thanksgiving. You don't really want to give Thanksgiving the like. Attention I've never been a Thanksgiving. Just roll right I am into still it. in Halloween on yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah, and then I'm like, skip Thanksgiving. Let's just go to Christmas. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. I'll have that's one my, day that's for Thanksgiving. My thing. So I'll watch Reanimator, September, October, November, December. Yeah, just in that. Yeah, you know. yeah. Everyone should watch it all the time. It's Do fantastic. It. It's so fun. It now. It's so fun. So, Hannah, where can people find you on the internet? Um, don't find me. <laughs> Please don't find me. Um, no, 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 no. Um, if you if you are so uh, in love with me by the time you hear this podcast, you can find me on Twitter at, at Lambsdiel, um, which is very professional. Yeah. And uh, I tweet a lot, just be forewarned. <laughs> um, but otherwise, I mean, I'm, I'm still developing my brand right now. So. Oh, yeah, fair. <laughs> you know? Well, we actually, uh, Hannah and I potentially will have a podcast together. We are thinking about soon. it. And this is about fake scary stuff. But yeah. we want to do one about the stuff that actually scares us. Yeah, legit. You uh, know? Frightening, anxiety-inducing yeah. stuff that happens to us. So. <laughs> on the daily, <laughs> every day of my life. <laughs> the things the, that I'm facing. Eyes out for that, guys. Yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for um, me and Hannah coming to, you know, your ears. Yeah. You're set at some point. Can't wait. Yeah. That's it for me. Thank thank you you guys. Thank you. This was so fun. Thank you for coming on. Stay spooky. (laughs) We're now here with our friend Katie McKendrick. Hey guys. Hey. Hey. Uh, She's brought the Amityville Horror remake from 2005 which we did for our fourth episode of this, this podcast. This is a, an early one. A deep cut. A deep cut. I love it. <laughs> I just, you know, I thought people would want to revisit uh, that early episode. Yeah. Because I actually went back and re-listened to it, because I had so many visceral reactions to the Ryan Reynolds comments. I was like, <laughs> I can't even pay attention to the rest of this episode. <laughs> uh, so we have to ask this question of everyone who comes on, but... Um, Katie Mac, what is your favorite scary movie? Ooh, okay. Well, that's a tough question because I I don't necessarily like to be scared outright when I'm watching a movie, so mm-hmm. I tend to probably go more for thrillers. So 
Right now, I would definitely say Get Out, because I watched it three times in, like, the first month it was out, and it's just such a great, you know, social commentary, but is also terrifying in, like, subtle and not-so-subtle ways. That's a great answer. That's a really good answer. Especially because I feel like that's the one, that's one of the the big movies of now, horror movies of today, that people are going to be talking about in, like, 50 years. For sure. I think right. there's a lot, like we've talked about, we're sort of in like a little horror renaissance right now. We are. But Get Out is going to live on for a long time. It's going to be the leader, I think, of that. Like, yeah. there's people, there's, there is absolutely, I think people are going to talk about It Follows. I think people are going to talk about, you know, like other horror movies of today. But uh, I think that Get Out's going to always be kind of the, like, the shining of, mm-hmm. well, you know. Well, again, Get Out uh, was nominated for Oscars. Right. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's going to be the landmark moment. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great answer. Mm-hmm. So so what inspired you to want to talk about this? So as you guys know, but the rest of the world does not, I am not a big horror movie person. And when I do watch them, I, uh, I tend to veer more toward the older uh, movies like The Shining or Rosemary's Baby. I think because there is some uh, suspension of disbelief with the effects and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I also like how subtle they are. I think that they... You know, because they couldn't always rely on those, like, flashy effects. They tend to be more subtle. And so they don't, like, jump scares really freak me out. And (laughs) so, of course, I chose to talk about a movie with plenty of jump scares. Right. Amityville is the antithesis of all of those old, subtle, uh, non-flashy horror movies. Right, right. (laughs) And so, you know, I had intentionally avoided all of that and then... Uh, one day I was at a sleepover in high school and I think this had just come out on DVD and I was with a bunch of my girlfriends from high school and they said, oh man, there's this new movie with Ryan Reynolds in it. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) And of course it turns out to be this like horror film with lots of jumpy outy moments. And thankfully I was with a bunch of people. Yeah. 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 Um, but too, I also found it interesting that it is a remake of an older horror movie right. so you know i've been meaning to go back and watch the original but of course i never have um well it doesn't have ryan reynolds abs so yeah. no why and, would you, you? Know, <laughs> <laughs> right and you know when i re- went back and re-listened to your episode i um you know found myself thinking more critically of your comments about how young he was and you know at the I know, time i was one. Yeah, and, you know, that was, like, let's see, 2006, so I was about 16, so, of course, anyone over the age of 20 is, like, an adult, and that's just kind of <laughs> right. who they are. Right. And then I, I went back and, like, looked at stills from the movie, and I'm like, he is way too young to be, like, this stepdad figure, yeah. and is Melissa George old enough to be a mom of, like, these three kids, and... Like, what's happening? Is it because the 70s? I mean, that's, that's my favorite part about everything about, honestly, all Platinum Dunes movies, and we won't get into it, but, like, it's it. there's not a lot of forethought. It's just like, oh, let's get some hot young bodies on that yeah, screen. Yeah, show, show the abs, the whole package. It's so good. He's all wet. He's wet the whole time. Yeah. Nobody's going to care if he's too young for this role. I mean, you know, that's what kept me watching abs. <laughs> it is, it is like, the thing the movie has going for it, absolutely, is that Ryan Reynolds is very hot. Oh, yeah. And, like, you know, the brooding, while it was scary, there was also a part of my teenage brain that was like, oh, that's kind of... That's yeah, kind of but then you know, of course, it's terrifying when you look at it through the lens of like, oh, he's supposed to be this stepdad who's caring 
for these kids, and he's making yep. this boy hold oh, this yeah. wood that it's he's scary. chopping. <laughs> um, did you guys know that James Vanderbeek was almost no? George? Yeah. Oh, interesting. This was 2005, right? Yeah, 2005 was yeah. when it came out. Man, yeah, that would have been interesting. He. I can't picture whether he'd be scarier or whether he'd be, like, I would think of him as being even less, like, threatening. I'm actually mm-hmm. not even sure. Yeah, I just, he's, like, always been kind of goofy yeah. looking to me, and so I don't know if I would have been able to take him seriously. No. But and I, a... I, I didn't watch Dawson's Creek. My main Vanderbeek knowledge is actually from Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23, yes. where he's playing himself. <laughs> I was gonna say right. that is like a that's a really bad show. But he and um, what's her name who plays the main character in that show, Kristen, Kristen Ritter. Ritter, uh, yes. they are hysterical. Their little thing going on is like the best thing in the show. It's actually oh, so funny. So that's yes. my that's my only Vanderbeek like frame of reference. And of course, I can't picture that like with an axe killing a no. family. No, I mean it's weird to see Ryan Reynolds do it. Honestly. It is, yeah, but yeah. he didn't have the, the the goodwill he has now. I feel like now he's, like, really beloved. I think mm-hmm. at the time it was, yeah. like, he was still kind of new, right? He did Van right? Wilder. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I went back and looked at his IMDb page. Like, what was he trying to prove being in this movie? <laughs> like, this horror remake where he just is, you know, shirtless most of the time. Uh, but, yeah, the only film of note he had really done at that point was Van Wilder, and so maybe he was trying to, like, shake that image and yeah. not being typecast. It didn't work. He still kind of, yeah, he still ended up being typecast a little bit in this movie. I feel like um, now he's kind of like, I can't picture him doing that kind of horror movie now. No, One, he, he wouldn't need to. to. Yeah. He wouldn't have to, but also, like, I just feel like he's kind of, he's just taken on a different kind of persona. Right. Although yeah, not like, now he could be the dad, right? <laughs> like right, now he's exactly. actually at yeah, the appropriate yeah. age. Well, now he's he he's like dad, 40 so. now. Yeah. I just yeah. I I I really did. I I I wish I could have the goodwill of that movie to be like, no, they intentionally cast him young. I think I said this on the episode like maybe it's purposeful because he's like a young right. stepdad and like that's why the mom doesn't like or the 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 grandmother doesn't like him and that's why he's oh, kind of yeah. like not that, you know, good at being a stepdad yet, but I I genuinely don't think I can I I remember we had a very healthy debate about uh this movie on on the episode and I mm-hmm. I don't know I'm I'm I don't know if I could stick by my comments originally made <laughs> over a year ago about how much I enjoyed this <laughs> you're movie. Ch- you're changed. <laughs> yeah, I've seen. So much. I think I've just seen some really bad ones. I also just want to say when we when we watched this for the podcast, it was our fourth episode, and episodes two and three were really really like bottom of the barrel stuff. And I think that yeah. this mm-hmm. felt at the time like a continuation of oh we're just watching schlock. And since then, we have descended so much deeper. Yeah, we've seen the into worst of the worst. <laughs> bad horror film. So Amityville feels very phoned in and very cheap and shitty, but it's oh, yeah. nothing like the worst movies we've watched. No, and it actually, I again, I think it actually does have some goodwill for just being a remake of a more beloved movie. Mm-hmm. It just, it like, it already has some feelings of like, oh, but at least Amityville is like fun. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like you know recognizable and easy whereas we've seen some of the horror over the past you know year and a half that is really almost two years i guess uh that has really like 
fucked with us yeah. <laughs> in a way that Amityville actually like can be sort of pleasant. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's in its like refreshingly uh, simple. Well, yeah, it's and it's like it's not really that threatening. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah, even like when the when Jody makes the babysitter put her finger in her bullet hole, it's it was almost funny because it's so <laughs> just poorly done yeah. <laughs> and doesn't seem to fit super well. I don't know. Yeah. But Hilarious. it's also very Yeah. Like it's also very Michael Bay, right? You know, yes. we're not yeah. trying to hide anything or create subtext. We're just gonna you know, she's just gonna stick her finger in this bullet hole and yeah. realize that things are like going you know she's going crazy yeah it just sort of is there's yeah. nothing really complicated about it and we have all we have seen in our you know the movies that we've watched up until now we've seen ones that are like both complicated and horrible yes you know mm-hmm. like baskin comes to mind as yeah. like the opposite oh, yeah. of this movie in being like way too much artistically yeah like both artistically and like horror wise it's all just like why would anybody want to like actually sit down and watch this whereas amityville i kind of like i understand why a bunch of girls at a sleepover would like want to watch this movie of course or like oh i really just want to like watch a horror movie but i don't want to think too much about it and i don't want to like definitely you know invest myself in any kind of growth or whatever so i'm just gonna watch it's popcorn horror it is popcorn horror yeah absolutely Ooh. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start using that. So, listeners, I am a uh, librarian out in Denver, a public library, and I just wanted to talk about the scene where she, like, goes to the library (laughs) and manages to do all this research about the house's history all by herself. Um, No help. Without without any help. Just, like, I was a little bitter about that. I was gonna, that is interesting. I've actually never thought about that before that like the role of the libraries and librarians and horror movies can be very uh important. There's a lot of mm-hmm. movies where people go and do research at libraries and ask librarians. I think actually uh the movie that comes to mind because I've seen it way too many times, but there's um um Haunting in Connecticut, which is very similar to yes. Amityville and, and and all haunted house style movies but there's a very big library scene in that movie that like i love because they're doing like lots of research and the microfiche and it's all yes. you know like <laughs> so I, that's actually very interesting and i never thought about the, the role of librarians yeah. in horror yeah and microfiche is just such a pain to work with so <laughs> I but feel like you- how will you know what the haunted house is without the microfiche it's so important I, yeah you're right all the all the old news all the old news is on the microfiche yep so all those um, old horror they gotta stories digitize it <laughs> i'm gonna go back in time to the 70s yeah we're gonna digitize all the microfiche yeah so yeah that'd be that's like a project this- uh, yes. Is, yeah. <laughs> every every local community's library to digitize all of their news clippings for hundreds yeah. of years. <laughs> sure, that'd be super fun. Yeah, and expensive. But. And also, oh, like, yeah. you, you won't have the, um, the you know, film of, you know, the, the people going through the microfiche and clicking through it. It's very, yes, it's you know, dramatic. it's very so dramatic. Visceral. It's not the same as clicking on a computer. Yeah, although if they were being more realistic, it would be more fiddly and like, why can't I get this page to show up properly? (laughs) That's been my experience, but anyway. (laughs) Where is the realistic microfiche depictions in horror? (laughs) 
Hashtag realistic microfiche. Yeah. That's what we need. <laughs> We're going to start that campaign. <laughs> Definitely. Please do. Please do. I'm happy to have made a difference through this, through this segment. So before we wrap up, is there any, any final thoughts on the Amityville Horror? Well, I guess, you know, props to it for catapulting Ryan Reynolds a little bit more into the uh, <laughs> yeah. mainstream. You know, even though it was flashy, I do, as you said, appreciate it as like a good generic sleepover movie where you don't have to think too much. Mm-hmm. So yeah. thanks. Thanks, Michael Bay for Deadpool. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. actually, legitimately. Yes. Thank you for all of the uh, all the Ryan Reynolds content. I no, love him. I don't want to give him great. any credit. Ryan Reynolds worked his ass off to get Deadpool. It's true. Movie, yeah, so. he's worked for like literally a decade, right? To yeah, yeah. He's a good one. Mm-hmm. I love him. I'm a fan. That's what this episode's really about. <laughs> it's just about Ryan. It really is. I'm sorry, I you know <laughs> hijacked it and talked about Ryan the whole time. Oh no. Oh no. That's no complaints. He's he's the best mm-hmm. part of it for sure. So. Katie Mac, where can people find you on the internet? Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Mac, K-A-T-I-E-M-A-C, 891. Sometimes I post some tweets and sometimes I just retweet. So you can enjoy (laughs) all of that. Love it. And if you're in Denver, (laughs) stop by the Bear Valley branch of the Denver Public Library and say hello. Yeah, libraries. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. Support your local library wherever you are. Seriously, do it. Libraries are the future, and the past and the present. It's all there. I love a library. So many resources. Yeah. It's topical, actually. It's a very topical thing mm-hmm. to discuss these days about how important libraries oh, are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. That Forbes article. Ugh. Ugh. Gross. Gross. Libraries are important and good. i talk about that, though. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. And stay spooky. We are here with multi-time guest, James Skosky. Yeah. How's it going? Who is joining us once again to talk about uh, the film we did for our 35th episode, our one-year anniversary, which is Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, absolutely. That's the, when, when I heard this thing was happening, I was like, that's the one I have to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so, James, why did you pick New Nightmare? Um, well, basically because... It's it's sort of thesis or like the larger meaning of the movie to me is sort of everything that I feel about horror movies or why I feel they're important. And um, that thesis is sort of uh, not by coincidence, something I wrote my uh, graduate paper in college. I graduated college because of how I feel about this movie. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the most thanks Wes Craven thing I've ever heard in my whole yeah. life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thanks abso- Wes Craven for my for my literal degree. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. Um and and so like I feel very strongly about this this movie and the things it has to say and what Wes what I feel like Wes was trying to say and I don't think I have to interpret it as much he sort of said said mm-hmm. that yeah um, so to me I, I mean I think you guys covered most of like the plot and everything pretty well in the episode there's not a whole lot of like bullet points from your episode or from the movie that I want to hit on as much as I want to talk about like the themes and the way they're Mm -hmm. in the movie. Yeah. Um, so to me, like the, the big thing about this movie is that it's a movie about how we need horror. Um, like people need it. 
um, society needs it. It's something that we've done forever. And horror movies are just sort of the modern way that we, as people are handling this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This, this need. Um, so something that happens in the movie that I sort of want to like start to like bring up and then I'll kind of circle around later and tie it all together. Hopefully. Um, the, so like if you, if you take the movie as like the literal like plot of like Freddie trying to come into the real world and he has to be stopped by storytelling. I think that that theme is, is like pretty obvious or at least like when you watch the movie, you sort of understand that. But I think like the little things about um, that in the movie sort of, it took me a while like while watching it to sort of get all of it. Like um, each character in the movie handles tragedy through art in different ways. Um, so if you take Freddy as not just a metaphor for evil, but also like a metaphor for tragedy. Hmm. Um, so there's like earthquakes, um, car accidents, murder, death of parents, things like that happen. And the characters all handle it very differently. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you even see the actor, Robert England painting, painting. Painting. And uh, you know, like uh, Nancy has to literally act. Like she assumes the role of Nancy, which is another like form of art. Um, you, you know, the, the movie wants to present this as like different people need different kinds of art to help them grieve or help them process like these things like earthquakes, death of parents, things that you have no control over and you have to deal with because it doesn't matter. It's not like in a Friday the 13th movie where like they're, you go to a camp and you're not supposed to go to the camp and somebody warns you not to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Heather and Dylan are literally just living their life and these horrible things happen to them. Right. And in order to get past it, to deal with it, they have to... So Dylan's... I forgot to mention this earlier. Dylan's, I think, is like bedtime stories, like hearing like oral Grimm's fairy tales, the Hansel and Gretel story. Even at the end of the movie, to process everything that he and his mom had went through, they open up a, the book or the script and are like processing of it via... the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. via like stories that the kid is is like being told by the parent and i think that is like something that is sort of really beautiful and really perfect because a lot of people don't understand why horror is important why people like horror and i don't think a lot of people have a lot of good answers for it a lot of people are like oh we like to be scared or it's exciting or whatever but i posit in you know my grad paper but also i think the movie does is that it's something that we we need it to process things that we can't handle in our real lives. Like we need it to be able to, in a safe way, process horrific things that happen to us because all of us have horrible things that happen in our lives. And some of us need horror to come to terms with it, but also in a very safe way. I totally Um, agree. Yeah. I love that. I completely agree with that, especially like from a perspective of I've got, you know, there's a lot of judgment of like, why do you love horror as a woman? Because obviously it can be a, um, a, genre, a, a genre that people think people, I mean, there people are right, but people think it's kind of uh, hard on women, but there yeah. is of course that element. That's like, if this girl can have literally all of these unbelievably horrible things happen to her and get up at the end and walk away. And that's, that's a huge thing for processing, 
you know, trauma Mm -hmm. and the things that happen to us. I think you're totally right. And the way that we, I mean, the storytelling aspect you're talking about of fighting monsters. Yeah. You know, like monsters represent so many different things that we're afraid of in our society. And like having horror be there as a literally a coping mechanism for all the various issues of our lives is that's really powerful. You're totally right. Yeah. I like also that like it is because it's working on this meta level, yeah, and again, we're just gonna fawn over this movie because it's so brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but like the fact that it is uh, literally like it is a horror film itself in which the audience is along for the ride of Heather having to deal with Freddy's encroaching on her life, right? Mm-hmm. So right. it's a it's a horror movie about horror storytelling that functions both as a metaphor about why we tell stories with a literal like reason why being to imprison Freddy, yeah. right? Like Slash it, evil, like capture it in a story so it can't harm us. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. And Absolutely. and it goes, and I think tying in that like Hansel and Gretel implies that it's not just movies. It's something that we have always done instinctively. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. All like oral urban, tradition. Yeah. yeah. Like urban legends and ghost stories. It's something that we have always done and will seem to always do in different ways. And I also like that the movie brings up religion in a way that's really interesting. Like, I, you know, on the on the rewatch, like Dylan asks his mom, like, you know, do you have to die to see God, or like, you know, what do you have to do? And and her answer is not like to pray, but basically like you just gotta like talk and believe. And he tries that, and it doesn't work all the way. It it doesn't get the like desired effect. And I don't think it's a takedown of religion as much as it is like. That can work, but it's not always enough. Yeah, you know? it's not going to solve the problem yeah. by itself. Yeah, and sometimes you still need to express it. And I feel this like so deeply because this is sort of why I got into horror when I was like a child. You know, I did this exact kind of thing where I saw, I think it was like America's Most Wanted or something when I was very young. And processing at a way too young age that, like, there are things in the world that are terrifying and are real and there's nothing you can do about it um, freaked me out. And I think I gravitated towards horror as a way to exactly, you know, like the theme of this movie, like, deal with it and get closer to it and take ownership of it and then, like, move past it and not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, and I know that the origin of like the design of Freddy and the name of Freddy was like, I think inadvertently something West did because he designed the look after like a, like a drunk or something that went out of his way to scare the shit out of him when he was a kid. And the name, <laughs> and the name Freddy was a bully. He was to bully him when he was little. And it's like, he took all of that. these. Yeah. He took all of these things and, and like news stories that like freaked him out about people dying in their sleep and really like, taking it and processing it and like molding it and making something new that, you know, I, you know, like I think that sort of proves the point of horror is more than just uh, a movie or or a thrill ride. It's actually like a way to process things we don't want to. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. It's really funny you bring up religion actually, because I feel like the Bible can be kind of a horror story sometimes well there's a lot of that that's actually pretty terrifying (laughs) i mean i I agree with that but i i I just didn't want to like like posit that wes was saying like oh religion is a failure that it's bad i just think that it's just like it's sometimes not enough and in the story it isn't 
you know, he tries to reach God and like God literally doesn't grab him or show him his dad. So he's like, I don't know what to do now, you know? Yeah, yeah. there's a physical aspect of that as well. They literally yeah. get to, like, fight Freddy. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. There's, there, is a, there is an aspect in, of that that is like... In another dimension, too, right? Right. I mean, yeah. it depends on how you interpret what... Like, they're not... They go from uh, Heather Langenkamp's house to... Yeah. And if he's an eldritch being of some sort, you know, there is, there is a, there's a weird mythological, I will, I won't say religious because it's not a religion, but there is a like spiritual mythological aspect to Freddy in this, in this movie as well. And they win by using their, not horror knowledge, but like their knowledge of Hansel and Gretel. Like basically like, yeah, we're going to shut them in an oven, which is like, how they beat him. Like, right. they this never isn't, this isn't Ready Player One. You don't, like, beat him based on your <laughs> your nerddom knowledge. Yeah, but, I mean, that, that you know, but I, I do think, like, that isn't an accident. Is like, they use their, they, they, that they've not studied, but they have come to grips with the evil through a story, and they're, like, ready to put it back in its place that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is kind of the, like, purpose of oral traditions, isn't it? So that we internalize those stories and use them in our lives to either to like you know it's either to kind of wag a finger at children like this is how you should behave but yeah, there's also elements of like bravery and yeah and urban, and urban legends which are like you know both like moral stories but also like teaching you how to like live or what to do or what not to do and most of them are kind of horror stories in and of themselves i just think but like, some of them are so much about being about kindness i always think <laughs> about that one um like the you know you pick up the girl on the side of the road and Later on, you you don't this, the urban legend like the like hitchhiking girl, ghost the hitchhiking ghost the girl yeah. on the side of the road and you're like Man, she leaves hook hand car door <laughs> no, no. that's another one that's a different one uh, that one's about not not having sex in a car exactly that's a purity myth uh, yeah. but the one about the girl who's on the side of the road you pick her up you ask you to take her home and then you take her home and then she leaves like a sweater in the car or something and you go to take it to her the next day and the parents are like she died. She's been dead ten, ten she's years. She's been dead ten day. years, and it's like, oh, because but you were nice to her. There's no yeah. lesson there except that like you were nice to her and you tried to return her sweater. It's just yeah. supposed to be spooky, but like there's no element of it that's like, oh, this ghost is trying to harm you. It's just like, oh, you know, you were just like nice to this girl, and you well, and, she and that's the it too. In your car. I guess it's also like that ghosts aren't always terrifying. That, yeah, or like, malicious. Yeah, that you can believe like, oh, there are spirits and they just want to be loved or what i mean like right yeah you know, be noticed that thing. i think that's the element of it too um that is why i love this movie so much is that it really and um something else uh the like the nurse is very judgy about heather showing her movies to her son right to the point where they almost like want to take dylan away from her they're like this is basically child abuse is showing this kid a horror movie you know yeah that's sort of like how they equate it and i think that that also plays into it is just like hey that's really off base that's not what's going on here but that pro clutching feels very real oh Oh, it's very real i i know for a fact that west got a lot of hate and at one point he almost stopped making horror movies is like he was worried that maybe people didn't understand his message or that maybe that people are reacting negatively to these movies and i'm putting out harm and then i think through this movie he's like wait no the movies help people and by making this we're doing something good you know it it may yeah. not be liked or may look scary or you know i think that's why a lot of people don't like horror movies is because they're scary and people don't actually like to be scared <laughs> you know 
Um, so that was before this? That wasn't why he made Music of the Heart? Uh, well, I mean, I, I would imagine. I mean, he <laughs> spoke about, like, getting out of horror movies and then obviously got right back into them. Yeah, <laughs> didn't last long. Yeah, you know, but he, you know, he always, like, approached movies with, like, like s- levels and levels of allegory and intent and philosophy and things like that. And, you know, that's why, like, some of his movies are really good, but also really upsetting to watch is because, yeah. you know, they're intense artistic statements. And, you know, that that's something I always, like, love and respect. I think that's why he's so important as a horror icon or filmmaker. You know, he made movies that were about more than just the surface level read, you know. Stabby, stab, stab. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, I appreciate that New Nightmare... And again, maybe you know more about this than I do, James, but the fact that he went from this to Scream being one of his, like, torches for the rest of his life, yeah, right? That, like, right after this, he made Scream, and then he continued to work with that franchise in a way that he, not to say that he abandoned Freddy, but that he had moved on from and wanted to do other things. He decided to stick around for Scream and, like, have his hands moving those gears, like, basically it's a lead franchise yeah yeah i think it was a transition from like new nightmare being about him as a filmmaker or as a horror storyteller to the relationship of horror to its audience which is very much what scream is about of course yeah absolutely and scream is also uh based on it's so funny to talk because i think kevin williamson it is based on big quotes the keddy uh cabin murders Mm -hmm. but there's nothing plot-wise of the Keddie Cabin murders in Scream. It's just the concept of being murdered by somebody that you might know and who, like, there might be something going on in your life that you don't have control over or people might be targeting you for whatever reason. It's the same... It's that same concept you're talking about of just, like, trying to process through these horrible things that happen to you in your life that you may not have any, you know, control over or it was a mistake you made when you were young or it was a mistake that your parents made. Yeah. Right. And, like trying to process through that trauma and it's very interesting like i have never thought about what you're talking about before but it really comes up a lot in wes's work yeah and that and that knowing like you know in scream like knowing that these movies exist is important because they literally like verbally live out their their life or like equate themselves to a horror trope like through scream right and then right. scream 2 is sort of like how that affects society or whether or not that affects people to commit a murder you know that right and like to some extent like what you're saying like how do you how does one move on past that right like if we're looking at horror movies as a way of processing horrible events like the final girl lives on and often their story doesn't continue to get told but sydney's story throughout this is about you know the way that you move on with your life yeah. yeah and horrible shit doesn't stop happening to you or anyone yeah we talk and about that beca- a lot on this podcast actually and she becomes like afterwards. a weird celebrity almost like as a survivor and then the world reacts to her differently because yep she survives these you know these murders that revolve around her you know i i just i love that aspect of that and new nightmare and that that like horror is not just disposable it's something that we need just like comedy or romance it's an emotion that we have to do in order to you know deal with our baggage you know yeah absolutely i totally agree i'm yeah. i'm so thankful for <laughs> new nightmare <laughs> yeah and for wes craven oh my god me too yeah it's it's why i always call new nightmare the best one 
uh, even though the first one is the most po- you know the most popular, most yeah. famous. Um, and then the New fan Nightmare's favorite on another level. Like let's yeah. be let's be yeah, frank. Like it is. it is doing more than any of those slashers from the eighties. Like yeah, and and I think it's him improving as a storyteller. Oh, definitely. Any uh, final thoughts to cap off? It's actually it's very appropriate that. You came on to help us celebrate our 50th episode with this. We celebrated our one-year anniversary of the podcast with Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And here we are revisiting it for our 50th episode. That's appropriate. We're always going to have a Wes Craven celebration in all of our celebrations, I feel like. Yeah. We, we, we try to celebrate Wes Craven in our daily lives Constantly. as much as possible. <laughs> I was so glad this popped up on Netflix, and I think everyone should see it. It's really a shame that it doesn't have... I like, I like it in a way that it's called New Nightmare. Uh, West Craven's New Nightmare and not like Nightmare on Elm Street 7. Oh, but yeah. I, do, I agree. I do feel like that alone, oh, not, not that alone, but like that's a big factor in it not being as seen as it, like literally any of the other ones, which is a bummer. Yeah, but it yeah. wouldn't it wouldn't have the same vibe. People wouldn't go see it in order to see. Nobody would see Nightmare Freddy 7. Seven. Yeah, whatever. Like yeah. it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same. It doesn't have that vibe. Yeah. It doesn't feel yeah. like a sequel. It feels like a standalone movie with characters used in earlier movies <laughs> right yeah like like i said earlier it, you could view freddy as a metaphor for all of these different tragedies and basically remove him from the series entirely which yeah you know yeah it's uh, it's pretty beautiful and it's yeah. gorgeous i love this movie i it's i always say it's one of my favorite horror movies and anybody who hangs out with me for very long will watch it with me at some point <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love yeah. that yeah so, James, thanks for uh, coming back. Oh, anytime. How can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MST3James and on Letterboxd at the same thing. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> the sa- at the same thing? Yeah. No, yeah. At the same thing. Yeah. MST3James. Thanks so much for coming on, James. Oh, you're welcome. We, obviously, you're our number one guest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I wear that as a badge. <laughs> All right. Uh, until next time, everybody. Uh, stay spooky. And that was our last segment. I love it. It was so awesome. It was so fun. I hope everyone enjoyed uh, listening to all those new voices. All those theses? Those theses. Love it. Thanks again so much to everyone who came on. To all of our guests. Yeah. Our listeners. They're friends and listeners. That's the nice thing, too, right? Very true. Thank you to all of the listeners who are not on this episode who bore with us in this long hiatus that we ended up taking. Yes. Thank you to everyone who stuck around. We're very sorry that it took so long to get this done. We took a similar sort of hiatus last year when we were moving into our new studio. Uh, And this time around, it was a lot of scheduling, a Mm -hmm. lot of, you know, life comes up. We promise it will never be this long again. I promise. You promise? I personally. I Hold me personally accountable. (laughs) Okay. And we're back. We're back in full force. We are. We're going to be on our regular schedule again. Here's to the next 50, right? Hell yeah. We're going to do something even crazier for our 100th. God, I don't even know what we're going to do. I don't even know yet. That's a a bridge to cross later. (laughs) But in the spirit of getting back to what we do best, we are going to roll the roulette. The roulette. Oh, I've missed her. Our our good friend slash mortal enemy. Slash mortal enemy. (laughs) All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Our next movie will be... Most likely to die. I don't like that title.
You don't? Do you know what this is? No. This is that um. Oh, it's like it's like a school thing. I feel like it's one of those movies where they're all shut in the school. Like Battle Royale. Yeah, it's like um. No, what are those movies that are like? You know, everyone has to stay in the school overnight, and whoever makes Lock it out in? is cool. Yeah. Whoever makes it out is cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know that classic uh, tradition. Yeah, this is okay. Former classmates throw a house party to celebrate their 10-year high school reunion, but a cap-and-gown-wearing killer traps and stalks them. All right. I'm into it. I love it. I love these kind of movies, as silly as they can be. I'm optimistic. Most likely to die. I bet it's going to be popcorn. I bet it's going to be silly. I can't wait. All right. Most likely to die. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to die. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Until next time, you can check us out on our website at NowScreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at NowScreaming. Be sure to rate, like, subscribe, etc. Share. Share it with all your friends. Do it all. We're back now, so you can't... If you recommended people and they we'll were like... We'll actually have new episodes. Hey, what the hell? You recommend us a podcast that disappeared. That doesn't post. <laughs> we're back to it. We're back. Thanks, Wes Craven, for friendship. For everything yeah. from the past 50 episodes. Yeah, that's true. For inspiring us daily to enjoy better art, to appreciate storytelling. Mm-hmm. I feel like we have a whole segment that's just dedicated that's to thank true. you, Wes Craven. So. Yeah. Uh, until next time, everybody, stay spooky. Stay spooky. We're back.